Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Father, we thank you today for this time of celebration where we come together, Father, in church as we always do. But then today, Lord, to especially remember the birth of Christ and to learn, take from the lessons that we can glean from his birth, the impact he's made in our lives personally and all around the world. So, Father, we're thankful today for for you sending your son. We're thankful, Lord Jesus. We give you glory and honor for humbling yourself, submitting to the plan of God, Humbling yourself, stooping down, and taking on low humanity in order to bring us up. Bring us up, Father. Bring us up, Lord Jesus. Bring us up into your very presence. Glory to God. We're thankful for that. We're thankful. Glory to God. We ask you, Father, to bless our time together today, uh, the time that we have left. Your presence has already been made manifest among us. We sense your presence, your glory. We're grateful for that, Father. I pray, Father, that every one of us will have open hearts and hearing ears today. And we give you the glory for it in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. In Luke chapter 1, or excuse me, Luke chapter 2, verse number 1, it says, It came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census was first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went out to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. Now, let me just stop right there and just add this comment. Some people don't really realize the custom and tradition of betrothal in uh, New Testament times, Old Testament times, and the time of Christ, too. Uh, Marriages were arranged by parents. Usually, the the parents of a young man would reach out to the parents of of a woman, a young woman that they've selected in the community, and if that, and if that uh, young woman's par- uh, parents were agreed, then they would get together and they would arrange for the marriage of the son and the daughter. And uh, usually this happened when a young woman was in her early uh, to middle teens. And uh, the patrol lasted for a year. It could have been a little bit longer. And uh, during this time, they were considered married. They were considered husband and wife. But during this patrol period, they didn't have any intimate uh, relationship with one another. They kept themselves pure and separate. But their betrothal, betrothal was a legally binding contract, just like marriage. And like I said, they were considered husband and wife, but they did not live together. And uh, to separate or to break up that arrangement actually required a legal proceeding uh, akin to a divorce. They actually had to get divorced uh, during this time if, uh, if they decided to break it up. So I wanted to just interject that. It says that, that 
uh, J- uh, Joseph came to Nazareth because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that when they were, while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. So we know that this happened at night, the birth of Christ. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. These angels announced to these shepherds that their long-awaited Messiah, that's the word Christ in the New Testament, is the equivalent of the Old Testament Messiah. And they were doing nothing less than announcing to these shepherds that their Savior, the Messiah, the hope of Israel, uh, had been born that day in the city of David, that is in, in, in Bethlehem. And, it's, and then they went on to say, and this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angel had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass. Notice they believed what they heard. Said, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. I'll read a a little bit more from Matthew in a a few minutes. But I want to start with this. And and, uh, I've got sort of a, a different Christmas message today. And I want to talk to you uh, from, from the standpoint of families and how God operates through families and how he wants to operate through families. Without question, the birth of Christ changed the world. There's been no other event in history that compares with the moment that God from heaven invaded humanity and took upon himself the, the, the human flesh and actually lived among us as both God and man. And so this event has changed the world. It's changed the nations of the world. It's changed countless millions and millions of people across the world from, from the earliest times of Christianity right up until today and lives are still being changed. Without a question, the birth of Christ changed my life changed your life. You can think in your own, in your own situation, in your own life, how you've been changed 
by Christ coming into your life. The difference he's made. Oh, what a difference he's made in our lives. Amen. Also, this is what I want to talk about today. Without question, the birth of Christ has also changed your future. And has given you purpose. Christ came to not only save you, but to give you purpose in this life. And his purpose has not, I guarantee you, there's not a person in this room that the purpose of God has been fully fulfilled. There is still purpose. There is still uh, something that God is doing in us and wants to do in our lives. Our future is bright. The future of this world and the ungodly world system that's in operation on this planet, the future is not good. It's doomed. But thank God we have a Savior. Glory to God. And we carry this kingdom that he brought on the inside of us. We're carriers of the kingdom. We live and operate not just in an earthly realm, but in a heavenly realm. We're members of the kingdom of God. Amen. One day this king is coming back. Glory to God. Hallelujah. God's plan for you likely involves more than just you. God has a distinct history of calling individuals and their families into his service. We'll look at it in in, uh, some of the Old Testament examples and and New Testament examples in a few minutes. But let's start with Mary and Joseph's family. You know, when we think of Mary and Joseph during Christmas and the Christmas story, we think all about them and what happened to them and what a dramatic and, and, and awesome awe-inspiring thing that took place. But we should also remember that Mary and Joseph were just ordinary people. They, they had families. They grew up as other children grew up. They had relatives. And God's working with through Mary and Joseph and what he did through them did not start with them. Now Mary of certainly is a a woman uh, to be distinguished from all other women in the world. To be the, the young woman chosen to give birth to the Son of God. That's tall cotton. No one else has ever been able to, to, to uh, even think of anything like that. So there's no doubt that Mary was especially chosen. Actually, let's read uh, just a moment. Go back to the first chapter of, of Luke. It says, when the angel came and Gabriel appeared to her, we won't read everything, in, in uh, chapter 1, verse 28, Gabriel came in and, and, and said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Well, that's pretty concise and to the point. But uh, she was especially favored. Now, so much so that religions have, have deified Mary. And they've put her in a, in a place in heaven as an intermediary between men and the Lord Jesus Christ, which is not true. She was not divine. She is not divine today. She did not have a halo over her head. Uh, as far as I know, neither did Jesus. The point is, she was, she was an ordinary woman, but a special woman that God had highly favored. And 
there's no doubt that Mary was uh, special in, his, in her character, above reproach. And we think of, of her and we consider her as being a very holy, uh, chaste, uh, innocent young woman, which she was all of that. And we have information about Joseph. The only thing, the only direct statement in the scripture, uh, scripture about him, he is described uh, in addition to that, but the only statement that's made about him is that he was a righteous man, upright man. But you know, that didn't just fall on them. Mary and Joseph's character didn't just, <clears throat> didn't just arise from nowhere. <clears throat> their parents shaped their lives. <clears throat> now, if we can, <clears throat> excuse me, if we can all agree that Mary and Joseph were especially chosen of God, no one disputes that, for this mission and for this purpose of bringing Christ into the earth, they, they had a very special ministry. But their parents, Joseph's parents and Mary's parents, do you not think that God had his hand on them? Bringing them together, helping them in training Joseph as a, as a little boy and as a young man and into adulthood, instilling the right kind of, of virtues and the right kind of character in him. God started with Mary and Joseph before they were born. God was working with their parents. And you could even go back further than that to their, to their grandparents. But you can see that God doesn't, just, God doesn't just start. Sometimes it looks like he just starts with a person. But God is always working behind the scene. And he works through families uniquely, as we'll see. You have Mary and Joseph. Jesus was born, the firstborn. But uh, Mary and Joseph eventually had at least seven children. Turn to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. And let's look at verse 53. It came to pass, this is Matthew 13, 53, when Jesus had finished these parables that he departed from them. When he had come to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Talking about Joseph. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And his brothers, James, Josie, that is Joseph, Simon, and Judah. So, so Jesus had four brothers. And his sisters... Now, the sisters are not named, but we know he had more than one because sisters is plural and they is plural. And his sisters, are they not all with us? So Jesus had four brothers and he had at least two sisters, might have had four, we don't know, but at least two. So that's at least seven children in this household of Mary and Joseph. God's plan was not just introduced and consummated through Mary and Joseph alone. Because Jesus obviously is the center of attention because he's Christ. He's the son of God. But two of his brothers went on to become very distinguished people in the church. Now during Jesus' earthly ministry, evidently his brothers and sisters did not believe on him. It's, it's highly unlikely 
that Mary and Joseph ever told the rest of the children the story about Jesus' birth. In fact, I, I, I would suspect that they never even told Jesus about it. The Bible says Mary kept these things in her heart. And I mean, how could you tell a child that? And even, even, even an older child as he's growing up, how, how in the world that I, I just, I, I'm doubtful that, that Mary and Joseph ever breathed a word to this, to, to their children. Well, their children had no reason to believe on him. When he came into his ministry, he was so radical. He was such a revolutionary. Uh, a lot of people didn't like Jesus. The religious leaders did not like Jesus and there was persecution against him. Well, there would have been persecution against his family. So his, his, his brothers and sisters did not believe on him. Evidently, when Jesus was raised from the dead, they saw and recognized and believed on him. Because it says in, in the first chapter of Acts that, that his brothers and his sisters, his, his siblings were there and Mary with him at the upper room on the day of Pentecost. So we know they did come in and, and were eventually saved. But one of the brothers, James, went on to become a leader in the church in Jerusalem. In the 15th chapter of Acts, you know, when Peter had been placed in prison and God sent an angel and miraculously delivered him, opened the prison doors, loosed his chains and, and, and delivered him, and, and he, he thought he was seeing a vision. He finally got outside the prison and made his, you know, came to himself and realized, hey, this really happened to me. Where did he go? He went to, to, uh, to Mary's house and uh, he, he talked to the people there. Well, you know, uh, when people, when the, when the early church assembled, they would have leaders in Jerusalem. Now, some people say that Joseph became the pa- or, or James rather became the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. I don't personally believe that. I don't see any evidence of that. But he did become the leader there. And in in the in the fifteenth chapter of of Acts. When the Jerusalem council took place, they came together to consider what had happened to Peter and through his ministry, how how Gentiles had been saved. There was a lot of dispute. It says that James stood up and he was an apostle. He's called an apostle. He's never called a pastor. But James stood up and gave his opinion. Now, whether he was actually considered the, the leader of the church of Jerusalem, it doesn't really say that. It kind of suggests that. All it says was that James stood up and gave his opinion and gave wisdom and the church there in Jerusalem believed it. So James was a very important person. Like I said, James uh, was just like Jesus, was called into the ministry. He was an apostle. He wrote the epistle, the, the, the general epistle of James. So we know all about that. Also, Judas. You know, he had four, four brothers and one of them's named with Judas. Judas was also known as Jude, and he wrote the book of Jude. So we have in Jesus' family, not just Jesus, but we have God working through his grandparents, maybe his great-grandparents, his grandparents, his parents. God's working not only through him, but through his brothers. So we see that God often works through family members. Uh, there were other family members that were, that were especially chosen of God and made a part of this ministry. Elizabeth, you remember, was Mary's, either her cousin or her aunt. The Bible just says she was a blood relative. 
but she may have been she may have been a, an aunt because of her advanced age. But at, at any rate, she was a relative of Mary's, and God used Elizabeth and, and, and Zacharias. So you have two more family members. So if I'm counting here, I'm thinking something like 12 or 13 people in this family alone that God's hand was upon. Again, God works through families. God wants to call your family and give them a special purpose in his kingdom too. I'm going to say that again. God wants to call your family and give each one of your family members a special place in his kingdom. If you look in the Old Testament, you see that God called Noah and his wife and their three sons and their three sons' wives all for a special purpose to fulfill his plan. Noah couldn't get it done by himself. God called Abraham and Sarah and all of their lineage had a plan of God. Especially in the, among those children, God uh, set aside or especially marked out Isaac. Isaac took a wife, Rebekah. They were singled out uh, from among the rest of Abraham's children for a special purpose. Abraham, or uh, excuse me, Isaac and Rebekah had Jacob. In addition to all the other sons, Jacob was singled out. And his 12 sons had a pivotal part to play. They became the, the foundation of the 12 tribes of Israel. My point is that God moves through families. Moses, for instance... Had a, he, was, he was the great leader. We all talk about Moses, but what about Aaron? Aaron was his brother. Miriam was his, was his sister. They were all mightily called and used of God. We see God working in families. We couldn't forget David. David was a, a man after God's own heart, king of Israel. And he desired to, to, to find a habitation, a dwelling place for the Lord. But because he was a man of war, the, the Lord said, no, I'm not going to let you do it, but your son Solomon will do it. It says Solomon built him a house, built God a house. Of course, Solomon built that house following the plan of his father David. So we see this in the Old Testament. If you come over to the New Testament, you see God working through relatives. James and John, two apostles, sons of Zebedee, two brothers. You see Peter and Andrew, two of the disciples. They were brothers and, and became apostles in the church. Paul had relatives that were involved in ministry as well. Go over with me to Romans chapter 16, if you have your Bible. Romans 16, and look at verse number 17. Paul is writing, he said, I urge you, brethren, excuse me, verse number 7, not verse 17. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my countrymen. Now, that word countrymen is the same word that's used for relative, referring to Elizabeth's relationship with Mary. So Paul had relatives, two, two men here, Andronicus and Junia, countrymen, and he said, fellow prisoners who are of note among the apostles, who were also in Christ before me. So Paul had two relatives, we don't know what the relationship were, was, but they were two relatives that were in ministry, that came in Christ, that were saved before Paul was, and were also considered notable apostles. Barnabas was a great prophet and teacher in the early church. 
But his sister Mary, I referred to a while ago, when, the, when, when they came to, to, uh, to when Peter was, was let out of prison, he went to Mary's house. That was, she had a home where, and this was, this was Barnabas' sister, she had a home where people assembled for prayer. So you can see that God was working in this family. Uh, Mary had a son named John Mark, would have, which would have been Paul's cousin. And he was a great, he went on the first missionary journey with, with Paul. He left early. Some people say that he left possibly because he was, in, he was concerned about the welfare of his mother because of persecution. We don't really know. But uh, he disappointed Paul when he left that, uh, that missionary journey. But later Paul said, I have use for him. He's, he's profitable for me. And this man, John Mark, became a great assistant and helper to the apostle Peter. So we can see here that God, my point is that God often works through families. Very rarely does God pick out a person and call them and that's the end of the line. I look at my own family. You know, my, uh, I, I, I only can trace my, uh, what I know of my genealogy on my father's side back to my grandmother. She was a holy woman, loved God, filled with the Spirit. And uh, her two brothers, one, one was, they were both evangelists and one also became a pastor, but I'm not sure about the other one. But uh, my grandmother on my father's side, she had two brothers who were in, were in, in, went in ministry. Their descendants went into ministry. In fact, one of her sons, his name, last name was Baldry, uh, became a very distinguished professor at Lee College, Lee University in uh, Cleveland, Tennessee. So in my family, we have that background. You come into my father's generation. My father was the oldest of five children, and he didn't go into full-time ministry, but two of his brothers did, my direct uncles. Uh, one of them was a pastor most of his life. The other one was pastored, pastored often and then also did missionary work. So in my own family, I have these ministers. The point I'm getting is there's a chain uh, that, that flows through families very often. Uh, in my own uh, personal family, you know, with my dad and mom, uh, there were four of us, and I, was, I am the only one of my parents' children that ended up in ministry. But I can trace the hand of God calling people, choosing family members down through time. And, uh, you know, I, when I was younger, as a younger uh, uh, parent, I, for some reason, I just assumed that my oldest son, Steve, I just felt like he would go into the ministry. You know, it turned out that he didn't. But I, I began to see something in Greg as he was growing up. I began to see God's hand on him in a way that was different than Steve's. And look what God has done. He's raised up my son and made him a pastor. And, uh, you know, the time will come when, when he will take over from me. And that's the way God works. In churches that are governed by denominational rule, you don't see that happening so often. But churches that, that are, are raised up by the Spirit of God and men's traditions aren't allowed to interrupt, you very often see churches passing down from father to son because God works that way. As an interesting aside, uh, my wife's, Angela's, parents. Her, her dad was a pastor. Her uncle was a pastor. In fact, we didn't know this until a, a, two or three years ago when we visited to the uh, 
the Doctor's Inlet Church? Is that when you found out that your dad had, had and, and my uncle had pastored? Angela's dad and my uncle, my dad's brother, pastored the same church before Angela and I even knew each other. I mean, at different times. They pastored at different times. But we didn't even know that. Now, God has his hands on some things. He's working. I believe God brought Angela and I together. Now, we might have, we might have got ahead of him a little bit. <laughs> but still, God's hand was in it. Huh? Just a little? But you might be sitting here and thinking, you know, I'd love to see this happen to my family. How can, how can the call of God be extended to my family? Well, it usually begins with one person saying yes. Just one person saying yes to God's plan for your life. Doesn't necessarily mean saying yes to a call to the ministry. My grandmother never entered into ministry, but she said yes to the plan of God for her life. And she is now, uh, you know, has, has descendants that are in ministry because she said yes. can begin with you. Noah was first, but then his family followed. Abraham was first. His family followed. The call of God to families begins with one, one person who in their heart longs to see God work in their life, in their generation. And if that is your desire, you can claim Acts 16, 31. Turn over there with me. Acts 16, Acts 16, and the Philippian jailer who was watching over Paul and Silas when they were miraculously uh, delivered from prison, he came in, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul and, and, and Silas said to him, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. You know, the blessing of God that is on your life can pass down. And, and someone who makes a real devotion, a real a dedication in their heart, like my wife and I did early on. I mean, that's all we wanted to do was serve God. And we made, we made a heart commitment, a desire to serve God. We stepped out and we obeyed God. But you don't have to be in ministry to do that. Many of you in this church have done the same thing with your own families. You came to Christ and you made a decision to follow him with all of your heart. And you've seen your children take places of ministry. Very often, this triggers a chain reaction. First of all, in the mind and plan of God, but it's waiting on somebody to activate it. Amen. So make no mistake, God wants to use your entire family and give them a special purpose. Now, my older son, he's not left out. You know, he's not called into five-fold ministry, but he's, he's in ministry every service at his church. You know, he, he, he plays guitar, bass guitar in the worship band. He's in youth ministry. He's not one of the paid staff, but he's a lay leader. And he goes on youth trips with the youth group when they go on winter retreats and, and camp, in, uh, uh, youth camps. He goes on those, on those outings. He works. He helps with the... Uh, Oversight of the church works with the pastor in official capacity there. God's plan is working. And God's plan can work for you. So let the example of Mary and Joseph's family 
and all these other examples be an encouragement to you today. That God is extending a call to you and to your family to do amazing things for His glory. Let's stand up. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Glory to God. We thank you, Father, that it didn't just stop with Mary and Joseph and Jesus in a family sense. That you involved many of their kin and their descendants. And so we see in that an example today because we want your plan in our lives to continue past our own lives. We want to give something to the next generation. We want to pass down a heritage. We want to be people that you can use to not just bless our own lives, but to raise up others to carry this message of Jesus Christ to the four corners of the earth. Father, each of us today, I just lead this congregation in in a prayer of consecration. Father, that as we submit ourselves to you, we sang earlier today how we seek you. As we seek your face, as we commit our lives to you, Father, I believe the plan and purpose upon our lives is greater than any of us realize. It'll touch more lives and more people than any of us realize. And you'll raise up men and women with special callings on their lives, special anointings, and you'll send them out as heralds of the good news. Father, we thank you for that. We praise you for it, and we glorify you in Jesus' name. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.